Hello and welcome to How to Start Up, a podcast for anyone starting a company. This is a collection of conversations with people who have all successfully started, run and even sold their own companies, sharing not only professional but personal experiences on what we should be doing now, next or never. Hosted by me, Juliet Fallowfield, founder of PR consultancy for startups Fallowfield and Mason. This week, we hear from Helena Murphy, the co-founder and managing partner of Raising Partners. After receiving poor financial advice and having to wind up her first business, Helena experienced stress which greatly impacted her physical health. She subsequently established Raising Partners to support other early stage entrepreneurs in raising investment and avoid the pitfalls she had previously encountered herself. Working with companies in sectors ranging from technology, healthcare, consumer retail to renewable energy, Raising Partners seeks investment opportunities with companies positively impacting both people and the planet. Hi, Helena. Thank you so much for joining How to Start Up today. It would be great if you could start with a brief introduction as to who you are and a bit about your background and your company. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm the co-founder and managing director of Raising Partners, and we do three core things in our business underpinned fundamentally by helping people to demystify the fundraising landscape here in the UK. So we have our core services where we help businesses anywhere from kind of pre-revenue, pre-seed companies, all the way up to series B on everything from financial modeling and strategy and pitching to investors, introducing them to investors, really in a boutique SME friendly corporate finance advisory service. We then have our angel syndicate where we invest in early stage businesses tend to be kind of post-product and pre-revenue angel rounds anywhere up to we have done an angel deal for for over a million pounds but generally under a million pounds um in SEIS and EIS qualifying UK-based companies that have a strong influence on people processes in the planet and then the third element of our business really does hinge on that educational piece I referenced where we're helping to demystify the fundraising landscape here in the UK and Raising Partners, we developed a subdomain of our website, which is called Runway. Runway by Raising Partners is is this educational content hub where we try and help people with everything from how do I value my business to what's a convertible loan and what's an ASA and some of the really basic things that people can get wrong or maybe don't know about raising money here in the UK and all of that information is free because we really want you know accessing capital to to be more accessible to people and and there's something things that fundamentally we believe that should be free to to founders who are looking to access capital for their business that unfortunately in my opinion have been kind of behind closed doors or really for people who knew the right people and were asking the right questions and moved in the right circles and kind of wanted to lift the lids on all of that information it's so humbling when you start a company admitting all the things that you don't know and there's a lot that you don't know and it gets to that point where you then know what you don't know but if there's companies like yours that can help demystify all of that area that can be very challenging to conquer that's incredible and when did you start the company and why so we started raising partners in 2017 myself and my and my fiance who we were both doing similar roles to to raising partners but in a kind of consultancy capacity and and I have been running raising partners in one form or another as a consultant for kind of eight I think coming up for eight years now um and I did a couple of in-house projects and I did some sideline projects really helping people to actually do the heavy lifting of of raising early stage investment and and the whole business came about 
on the back of my own experience of starting my first e-commerce business straight out of university. And I kind of changed what I'd had as a side hustle when I was very young in my teenage years of selling things on eBay into an e-commerce site. And I I raised money for it. And at the time, I wasn't even really looking for it. it we just kind of stumbled on it at a business dinner. Someone was like, oh, this is your business. This is really cool. If you're looking for investors, I'd invest. And, and that was pretty much it. And then six weeks later, I had the money. And, and that was my first exposure of what it was like to raise angel money for a business and to get a private investor. So I just casually thought it would it would always be like that. I needed to raise some more money later on down the line. I went back to my investors. I was very young, extremely arrogant, had taken my eye off the numbers. I was very ignorant as to the whole investment process. I thought it would be easy again to go back and ask for kind of a million pounds and it most definitely wasn't I didn't leave myself enough time I learned every lesson going the really really hard way I lost my hair from stress-related alopecia it was a whole thing it was a really bad time but what it taught me is that when I looked back at that business when I, I made the decision to close that down and to kind of walk away with my dignity intact although very wounded pride I really looked closely at all the mistakes that I'd made and I was became so immersed and aware of of all uh, some of them really basic mistakes around raising money and that edu- that's where the educational piece of runway comes in to kind of plug that gap because I can see people making those same mistakes because like you said you don't know what you don't know until you work out that you don't know it and and some of them were actually just they were big catastrophic kind of potholes in the road that were so really I could have done with someone to support me the way that raising partners the way that we support clients now and kind of hold my hand through that process from start to finish and show me all of the potholes and be like okay well have you thought about this option and what about this and you're missing money here and you're going to need to raise again at this point and these from these kind of investors and this is what the whole process is going to look like and because I didn't have that And I didn't know where to get that kind of advice. I I made those really big mistakes. I ended up having close to £100,000 worth of personal debt, which actually my my mum, bless her, really sorry, mum, if you end up listening to this, but I I did a podcast about this recently. I actually said to the person interviewing me, I was like, I've never, literally never told anyone that before. My mum didn't know that would be the first time she would have heard about it. And since then, I've, I've said it quite a few times. So she will definitely know at some point. But I was really hiding everything that was going on in that business. I wasn't telling anyone, not even my close friends and family. And I was acting like this kind of swan. that was, Isn't this great? And everything's going so well. And below the surface, I kind of knew I have made some really bad mistakes. And, and yet unpicking all of that and kind of three years worth of work on research on what went wrong and speaking to people and understanding where the gap is in that market so that I could help people not make the same mistakes that I did is how we got to raising partners and, and doing what we do now. I've interviewed a few people now. We're into our fourth season of the podcast, but one person said that the majority of companies fail because of cash flow, not because the business is not viable or the idea is bad, but they just haven't got ahead of their projections. And if they'd got ahead of it and raised investment soon enough and started way earlier, is that a common mistake that companies make? Absolutely. And and that's the exact same, that's the exact mistake I made. I just didn't look at my cash flow. And I think it's it's really interesting with finances because I think a lot of people approach finances in their business, oftentimes with a story that they're telling themselves. And I did this, which is that I'm bad at numbers, I'm bad at maths, I don't understand Excel, and I'm not an accountant. So your natural default position is to outsource that and to delegate what you're not good at, to be like, I'll get someone in to manage my finances. And often at an early stage, you'll get a a bookkeeper or an accountant 
really not understanding that their job is to file your taxes, to reconcile your accounts, and not to provide you with strategic advice and guidance, essentially acting in, in the role of, an, of a financial director on your business about this is what could happen and, oh, you're not hitting these sales targets and you're going to need to think about this and your cash says you need to raise money here. And you kind of bury your head in the sand. And that's definitely what I did. And unfortunately, I see it a lot in the market now. And and I'm always really grateful whenever we have the opportunity to speak to founders, even if we never work with them on a commercial basis. If the only value I can add is these numbers don't make sense, you've got holes in them, please look at this bit over here. Or I think you should get a financial model done by a professional accountant and have someone walk through it with you and spend that time asking you those strategic questions to draw out those points that can help solve that problem of cash flow because one of the biggest reasons why people fail is access to capital and that comes from a place of not being conscious or aware of what's going on in their financial position so then it creeps up on them and and like you said they start on the day that they need the money rather than 12 months and they're looking at it ahead and they're preparing for it you can make decisions from a position of power and a knowledge rather than making decisions from a position of weakness and panic where you're looking at something thinking oh my gosh like I was I've got six weeks and I needed a million pounds every single guest that I've interviewed has said in terms of advice for somebody who's new to starting a company is get a good accountant you need an accountant that you can trust and rely on but someone else said well are they a financial advisor are they a growth developer are they you know supporting your business growth or are they just bean counting the definition of a good accountant what would you say that was Exactly that you need to you need someone who is going to be so diligent on the detail of making sure that they are protecting your position as a business and a practicality position of making sure that you've you know you've got everything aligned in the way that it should be from an accounts perspective and a bookkeeping perspective and a you know particularly in a service based business where you're reliant on people paying invoices on time and that you have a real system around collecting cash and having your VAT sorted and all those little things that you you need help with so that someone is keeping an eye on that. I think you want someone where the devil is in the detail. And then likewise, you want someone who can help you look up and help you think strategically about your business and act in that position as a finance director and really show you the reality of what it means to run a business. And ideally, that person has seen multiple businesses of differing stages of growth stages and early stages is critical because the budgeting requirements and the cash requirements at an early stage are very, very different to if it was the FD of Coca-Cola probably isn't going to be able to help you with your new vegan energy drink, for example, because they're going to be used to working with a very, very different set of numbers. But I think you need someone who can bring that level of depth and expertise and perspective on your business that why you know you can't possibly have all of the knowledge yourself in house. so that for me is is what you're looking for in terms of a good accountant is is experience and strategic advice that they can help ask the right questions of you as a founder and how did you stay inspired over the last year given the year that we've had where did you keep your motivation for your business I've always worked really well under pressure, which is really helpful when I am a career entrepreneur and I've really only ever run my own business most of the time. So when lockdown number one happened, my default position was I'm going to work really hard at this to guide us through and we'll be fine and and work out what all my options are. And, you know, for me, I always like to have all of the information. And I actually found that quite inspiring and motivating was having as much information as I, I could possibly get about what this would mean for our market specifically. 
what it would mean from in, from investment. So I spent a lot of time on the phone to investors about what they were investing in, what they weren't, what they were interested in, how we could plug the gaps for our clients, what additional services could we offer, et cetera. And we're really fortunate that we work in an industry where you either need money or you don't, and you either want help or you don't. And it's not particularly optional. So we managed to bounce back from that very, very quickly. And I suppose where I draw broader in inspiration from over the last year, I have learned again the really difficult way by not doing this that I need to take really regular breaks. And by that, it's prolonged period, not necessarily prolonged periods of time of weeks away from work at a time, but definitely having a long weekend, potentially even every every month where I have a Friday and a Monday off so that I can actually spend time with my partner, with my son. We can go places, we can do things. And actually, I've drawn an incredible amount of inspiration, probably from just even staying in the UK over the last year. I know lots of people are saying, oh, I want to be able to go abroad on a summer holiday, but I really enjoyed the last year. We're so fortunate to live in this country and how amazing it is and to have so many different things and landscapes on our doorstep. So I've spent a lot of time traveling around the UK over the last year and really appreciating it when I can to take that time out and see a bit more of Britain rather than always being like, oh, I need to break. Well, as a serial entrepreneur, have you ever been employed by anybody else? I have. I've done two in-house contracts. And to be honest, I've always worked. I've had a job from the day after my 13th birthday. I was washing dishes in a local cafe in Glasgow. So I have been employed before. And what is the most surprising thing that you've learned about yourself? Maybe when I was younger, I didn't think how capable I am. And I was probably telling myself this story of, I'm particularly as a female founder, you know, I'm not going to be able to have this kind of job or achieve these kind of heights or miles. I never, ever thought I would be CEO. I never thought I would work in investment. I never thought I would be good with numbers. This didn't seem like what I would be doing with my life. So probably the thing that surprises me the most is, is actually how capable I am and actually how far common sense goes. And I'm always constantly surprised by the people that don't necessarily have very much of it. But I would like to think I have have quite a lot of common sense. Given that you're a female founder, are there particular challenges that you've faced and how have you overcome these? I don't often reflect on the fact that I'm a female founder and look at at it through that lens. And perhaps that's because I work in quite a male-dominated industry and I work with so many men on a very regular basis that I think it very much works in my favor being a, a woman working in investment because I am the anomaly. You know, I will most often always be the only female in a room or myself. And I'm really proud that more than half of our team at Raising Partners are women. But, you know, if we're on a call and there's women in the room, we'll often be the only women in the room. And I think that certainly plays to my advantage in investment where I think there is small and there's a huge amount of work to be done, but there is a growing awareness of how the lack of diversity in our industry and, and people trying to address that, not just amongst women, but amongst you know people of black and ethnic minorities as, as well working in investment. It's taken me a long time of needing to be a hundred times more bullish and not in a not in a not feminine, not soft way, but not in an aggressive way, but just in a firm sense of this is my line you will not cross it and I have to be a lot firmer with that of setting a set of standards for myself and for my team around we will do this we won't do this we'll we can do this in this time frame we always want to make someone happy and do a really great job but I had someone ask me why I couldn't work on my son's first birthday and I was like because I have one child and it's his first birthday 
So no, I'm not going to do a really non-essential call on on that day. And I think you do have to be a lot firmer with your with your boundaries and your time. And, and actually, I found the same in in negotiation of of contracts and pricing. If people, oh, you can give me a twenty percent discount. I'm like, would you be asking me for a twenty percent discount if I was a man, or would you just be agreeing to a scope of work because you're like, that's a fair price for the work I'm giving you. And I think I, I get asked for discounts on what I do a lot. And I don't, I don't know if that's got anything to do with me being a woman. Maybe it doesn't. But I always kind of have that background thought of being like, no, I'm not, I'm not moving the line on this. I know how much it costs us to run a business. And I'm not going to negotiate on that. Well, I was going to ask you when it comes to pricing, given you're offering an incredible service to your clients, do you have advice for people when they're pricing their product or their service? There is a time for money model and we're predominantly a service-based business. And I work with a lot of other services. I work with a HR, a really great HR firm. I work with a fantastic PR agency, a really fantastic marketing agency. And I work with them on a mixture of time for money where they'll do a certain amount of hours for us a month or quotes on a project basis. And I think I always build into our quotes like value based on what someone is getting, particularly on how much money they're coming to us to raise. I keep our pricing very consistent and transparent for everyone. So I don't, I I bill for the work that we do, but the bill structure is the same regardless of who we're working with so that all of our clients kind of get a fair deal and we're working on a project and everything is the same and it's equal and even. And that's why there is absolutely no discounting or negotiation or anything like that. Personally, I prefer not to bill time for money because I think that grossly undervalues the years and years of expertise, specialist expertise that you bring to a table that I don't believe someone should be punished financially because they can answer a question or do a piece of work in 15 minutes rather than spending five days on it and billing however many hundred pounds to do that. I always scope out what you know what it actually what it costs in real time for us to do that and and then also what it costs for us to run a good business and then what value we genuinely deliver of return on investment someone will get for that for the fact that we can do it in 15 minutes. You get a bit of potentially can get a bit of fatigue for your work when you know what you're doing is really good and you are adding a lot of value but you feel like your pricing doesn't match that that's when you can feel like oh, why am I doing all of this when the, you know the financial reward isn't there for it it's it's all got to be aligned how do you manage time to do everything how do you draw work-life balance how do you manage your time do you know what? I once saw a quote that was like, you have just as many hours in the day as Beyonce. And sometimes I'm like, ah, well, I don't have the team that Beyonce has. But I often think about that when I'm like, oh my gosh, I have so much to do. And I'm like, no, I have the same 24 hours as everybody else. Where am I not using this efficiently? And where do you have to give and take and make compromises at certain times? And I think I've really made peace with that, especially over the last year with COVID of times where I've had to work incredibly intensely and I'm working really long hours and I'm coming back to things late at night and I'm still sitting in my desk and I think it's about making sure that you balance that out not necessarily all in the same 24-hour period but look at your calendar and think okay well you know realistically I've got a really busy three weeks coming up in the summer we always have a Friday afternoon off which is optional you can stay and work but it's admin based but there are never any external calls or you can finish at lunchtime we also get paid to do that. Do you ever get to a point where you decide you don't want to work with the clients? Do you have advice around that at all? We're incredibly fortunate. We work with lots and lots of really great companies. And I'm incredibly grateful that the work we do, all of our 
you know, all of our business tends to come from word of mouth referral, either from investors who are potentially going to invest in a business, but they want their prospective investing company to work with us on getting them ready to formally pitch and go through that process, almost as a way of an investor doing due diligence on that opportunity. And then from past clients where we've, you know, we've managed to get the money and then they refer other people to us, which is, is great. But like you said, you can be referred people where you just think this isn't the right fit. And we work very closely internally as a team on, is this the right cultural fit for us? And is this the right kind of leader that we want to align our business and our reputation and our names next to theirs? Because we are working with them on investment, whereby these people who invest in their company are going to be legally attached to this company for its life cycle. So it's an incredibly big thing for us to pin our flag to their mass, so to speak. So we spend a lot of time trying to get to know them, really asking ourselves difficult internal questions about, you know, what are they going to be like to work with? Do we think investors are going to respond to what they're like on a leadership level, uh, trying to do some of that due diligence, because a lot of investors, it will be one of the first questions they ask us is what is this person like to work with? So we spend a lot of time looking at cultural fit and do they respect our advice and our strategy and our guidance and our expertise? But, you know, we have worked with the wrong kinds of people in the past and been burned lots and lots of times with, you know, people not paying us for work that's been done. All sorts of horrendous things that you kind of learn all the time about what's going to work and what isn't. And yeah, I think it's so important to not be afraid to understand exactly what your boundaries are and then do not move from them. I view the services that we we have on board at, at Raising Partners, our PR agency, marketing and, and HR teams as part of our wider team, we're all on the same team. We're all working towards the same goal of making Raising Partners a success. So I would never be disrespectful of their time or their their value or their expertise. And I think you just need to ask those difficult questions of, do you want to work with this person for a long period of time? Because no amount of money is worth the stress that some people can make it if you're if you're dealing with a particularly difficult client and you tend to only be dealing with difficult people if you've not set the boundaries in really early on. And given you the amazing wealth of support that you offer clients, what should a new company or a new founder prepare if they wanted to have a call with you or approach your business and speak to raising partners? Are there any tips and tricks of things that they should get going or think about or take note on? It depends what they would like from us. If someone would like investment from our angel syndicate, then we've got a really clear process on our website of, of pre-qualifying whether or not someone is right for our syndicate because we work within a set of you know financial regulations and terms and we have an investment mandate with our angels so in in that sense people need to be quite not reasonably well established you know definitely post idea post mvp stage of their business but because i think some people can be really really afraid especially to approach investors because they feel like they're not ready And any last golden nugget piece of advice that you'd like to offer a new founder when starting a company? Get the best financial model you can possibly get. Yeah, really invest your time and resources into getting to know your numbers and understanding your numbers in really granular levels of detail. So how many customers do you need to break even? How much does it cost you to acquire those customers? How many staff do you need to resource and serve those customers? You know, what are your key growth metrics and KPIs if you need to raise investment when? and have a real grip, build everything else from the numbers. But the numbers has to be the foundation. I think a big mistake people can make is to think, this is a great idea, and this is a growth market, and wouldn't this be wonderful? And you can spend a lot of time working on 
brand and other elements of your business that are important, but then you work out that the numbers don't add up and actually it's never going to work. Thank you so much, Helena. It's been super interesting to talk to you. Thank you. It was great to hear all Helena's useful advice on what to do and what not to do when starting to consider raising investment. If you'd like to contact Helena, you'll find all of her details in the show notes, along with a recap of the advice she has so kindly shared. Thank you for listening to How to Start Up. I hope these conversations offer you some confidence, encouragement and reassurance that you're on the right track. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd be so appreciative if you were to rate, review and subscribe as it will really help other people starting a company discover it.